The Story in Your Head, Episode 29, The Power of Changing Stories, with Dr. Robin Buckley. Welcome to The Story in Your Head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, Michelle, myself, and guest Dr. Robin Buckley discuss the power stories have over each of us, how difficult it is to change the stories that no longer serve us, and the impact of being vulnerable enough to allow your stories to change. Are you looking to strengthen your relationships, whether personally or professionally? You want to learn how to build authentic connections faster, or perhaps you're looking to beat employee burnout through the power of connection. My name is Ron Macklin, founder of Macklin Connection. And in our workshops, we teach you the fundamentals of how to do exactly that and more. To learn more of the power of your relationships, visit us at MacklinConnection.com. Hi, welcome to the story in your head. I'm Ron Macklin, and today, along with Michelle, we have Dr. Robin. Robin, welcome to the show. Thank you so much to both of you for having me. I'm really looking forward to our conversation. So I, I took a look at your website, and it, it's fascinating, right? You do a lot of executive coaching, couples coaching and stuff. One of the things we talk about a lot in what we're teaching is around fear. And I'm just wondering if there's anything in particular, at least for yourself, that you were afraid to do, you did it, overcame it or dealt with it, and what difference it made for you? <laughs> See, Michelle, I thought you were going to take that in a whole different direction, but you're going to personalize it right away. I can do that. <laughs> <Absolutely>. All right. <laughs> so I think that one of the scariest things that I've ever done is when I really changed from that traditional mental health therapy model, which is what I was trained in, what I was educated in, which I went into psychology to do, to really focus on coaching. And it was a hard shift for me because so much of my identity was attached to my PhD in clinical psychology. Like that was something I was proud of, something that really had been a big part of my foundational young adult years. And then all of a sudden, I'm deciding to change to something that I knew intuitively that I loved, that it aligned with who I was personally and professionally from that proactive preventative model. But to let go of a piece of your identity, to let go of my licensing, to commit to something that Again, my, my gut said to do, but my brain was saying, no, you work so hard on your PhD in clinical psychology. Why wouldn't you just stick with that? Instead of letting my creative mind and my heart say, you can blend both very effectively. So it was a very scary transition, whether you know I could, again, build a roster and, and build a, a client load around that. And of course it happened, but it was, it was very scary. Um, I'm actually right now in the middle of a decision that is one of the hardest and scariest um, that I've had in a long time and still experiencing that that differentiation between my gut and my heart and my head and trying to see which which one is going to win out when it comes to this decision that's in front of me right now. But knowing that ultimately I go to that place of things will really be OK. It's just this transition that's hard. Thanks. Robin, you, you, you mentioned three things there, your head, your heart, and your gut. Like, how, how does those show up for you? How, how do they manifest for you as you're thinking about making decisions or choices and dealing with the fear associated with that? Yeah. The, the heart to me is always the emotion and the passion. And 
I think both are really important parts of being a leader, being an individual, and making decisions. But sometimes what we're passionate about, sometimes the emotions around that get in the way of the logical, rational, strategic part of the brain, the facts, the data we have. And for me, it's very quickly, I try and differentiate, okay, what am I, what is the thought that's creating the emotion? And so for, in the example I gave, you know, the thought of, but that's my identity and being able to recognize that thought so I can scale it back saying, but really, is that all of my identity? Is that who I am? And is that who I want to continue to be for the next 50 years? So it's identifying the thought that's creating any of that emotion or that connection to the passion to be able to evolve the thought in the direction that will help me. Now, gut is that just intuition, that that pure belief or faith to me that things will be okay, that things have been okay in the past and using some of that intuitive knowledge with that cognitive process. So the brain gut connection almost to be able to say, okay, I, I, I do believe it'll be okay. And then my brain says, and what are the facts that we know? What, what have we gone through in the past that has turned out okay, even when it didn't feel okay? Because fear to me is just an evolutionary leftover that we function off of fear to protect ourselves. And thank God we had that, you know, when there were saber toothed tigers outside our cave, but there's not many of those anymore. And we don't need fear as much as our brain thinks it that we do. Our brain is just trying to help us avoid failure and disappointment and frustration and sadness. And sometimes we don't need to. It's okay to experience those and use those to motivate us. So some of it's reminding our brain, yeah, we're good. We don't, we don't need that fear anymore. Yeah, fear for me, boy, it's amazing how it could hold on to you and grip you, right, in, in different ways. It's, it's pretty fascinating. Just a quick story. I've dealt with it, and, and I appreciate it in two ways. So one is accepting fear. And where I accepted it is, I hate roller coasters, right? And they scare the crap out of me. And I'm okay with that. So I don't ride on them anymore. And so I'm the person that holds everybody's bags while they go on the roller coaster. So it's a wonderful offer, right? And I'm really settled with that. But the one I had to step forward on was having and getting over that fear to speak up in a meeting, right? That my ideas were valuable and they were going to make a difference. So, and I'm curious for you, and what I'm hearing there is, you had to change a story, right? We're called the story in your head because people have at least one or several at any one point in time. What story do you think you had to change for yourself to be able to, to do that? Huh. It's funny how sometimes someone asks a question and you immediately get an image in your head and that just happened to me. So my story was, I can't do it. In grad school, you know, I think a lot of people, but certainly women have experiences sometimes dealing with sexism. And I had a grad school professor who said that PhDs were a waste on women because we were just going to get married and have kids and never use it. And there was that fear of letting go of something and somehow almost validating what he said, like I wasn't going to use my specific training, which is, again, of course, ridiculous what I'm saying out loud now. But my head was, no, he, he said I wouldn't use it. I, I can't let this go. Instead of saying, I'm choosing to use it in a different way. I'm not not using it. I'm not walking away. Even if I wanted to, that would be okay. But I'm not walking away from my degree. I'm evolving it. And that became a very clear differentiator. And that is what I do around fear, even in this 
situation that I'm currently in, the fear is I'm never going to get this opportunity again. Instead of saying, heck yeah, I will. I, I make a lot of opportunities in my life. I may not know when, but it'll happen. And trusting that, trusting that based on data and trusting it based on knowing myself, that intuition. Thank you, Robin. I, I'm triggered to go back to, I had been using and working with somebody's video for quite a while, but I'd never met him. Like I never met the person or in that space, right? So I've been watching it several times. And then it was like a space of, what am I afraid of to go meet this person, right? And it was like, like he's just a person, right? Well, no, he's the person on the video. He's obviously famous. He's in a video. And how do I lead my scared <laughs> self to go meet them? And what I found was when I talked about it out loud, when I told somebody, yeah, I'm afraid to go do that, they kind of looked at me and I was going, yeah, that sounds kind of stupid, doesn't it? Right? You're saying it out loud like that. <laughs> and the, all of a sudden the fear was still there, but it didn't have power over me. Like I noticed when I walked in the room to meet with him and meet with his wife and meet with his base and, you know, there's the, the, the whole body's, you know, a little on the antsy side and jumpy and all that, but it didn't stop me. The fear was still there. It just didn't have control. And I wondered, Ron, sometimes it's, you know, the brain, I, I tell people the brain is a really lazy organ. It will do what we tell it to do. But most of us don't actually talk to our brain like we're trying to like rein in a toddler. And that needs to happen in order to sometimes achieve our optimal level of functioning. So I'm thinking of you in that situation, Ron, and, and my experience and Michelle's experience. Sometimes it's a matter as simplistic as it sounds, as changing the term that we're using. So instead of saying, oh my gosh, I'm really afraid to meet this person. And it's not lying to your brain, but fear looks very much like anticipation and excitement and that like that that nervous energy of like doing something new. And sometimes when we tell ourselves, okay, maybe it's a little fear, but maybe it's also a lot of excitement because I'm finally getting to meet this person or I'm finally going to be do something that I thought I wasn't going to be able to do. And we tell our brain, it's not all fear. Some of it is just you know, that, uh, again, that excitement, because excitement is positive. Excitement is energy. And so it, it feels a lot like fear. But if we tell our brain it's something different, over time, our brain will start to say, oh, that's not fear. That's just excitement. And that's where we can start to control that organ at the top of our body instead of letting it lead us. When you're working with a client or, or with yourself, maybe, and you're trying to help them, like, understand that, that the story in their head what are some of the key things like you try to do or how do you bring forth for them that they're not alone and that story in your head is everybody's got that story or got a story or many stories? Yeah, that is a great question. I think the, the humanization of it, and I do work with a lot of female business owners and female executives as well as the couples. And so some of it is just bringing it back to that normalization. And it is amazing to me. I don't know if either of you have had this experience with the people you work with, but when you say, you, you know, you're not the only in my case, woman who feels that way. And how many times my client will look at me like, really? Like they really don't understand that this is a really typical process. And it's finding that balance between, I don't want to undermine their personal experience, but at the same time, I do want to incorporate them into the larger group where, yeah, a lot of women feel imposter syndrome or a lot of leaders feel like, you know, they need to be perfect. This isn't unique to you. It's just now, how do we use that knowledge to make you feel more confident and you feel like you can step into that and still gain the strength from knowing there's people around you just like it, even if you don't know, know them, but yet you're handling it on your own the way that is authentically you. So 
helping people specifically reframe their stories using specific specific words that actually trigger more of that level of functioning they want versus the level of functioning that is going to get them farther away from their goals. So looking at the terminology, looking at the underlying themes that they might not even realize are coming out when they either unconsciously or consciously are talking to themselves and helping them start to learn that they actually can strategically control their thoughts, which will mean that if they have control of their thoughts, they control their behaviors, they control their emotions, and they control their reactions. That's optimal functioning. But it all starts with the thoughts and the stories that they've been relying on. And those are just habits. So that's the beauty of it. Once we know it's a habit, we can break habits. It's hard, but we can do it. Yeah, thanks. So I heard the terminology reframing stories, right, which is, you know, recreating them. We, we have a very similar concept. I'm curious, are there any common stories or ones that maybe you can throw out to the listeners that you tend to work with people? And and what do you do with that? Yeah, I referenced two of them, and, and I don't think that they're unique to my clients. I certainly see it a lot in, in podcasts and in articles, but imposter syndrome is just rampant. And it seems to be one that regardless of who you are at some point, there it is likely that you're going to have a moment at least of imposter syndrome. So that idea of, I really don't have the skills. I People are going to find out that I really can't do this and, and I'm just faking it. And really tapping into that, again, that fear, primitive fear place of our thinking and our stories. So for that, I very often use a strategy and I call it just a resume review. And it doesn't necessarily have to be like the hard copy that they pull out, although some of my clients do that. But it's going through, it's taking 10 minutes maybe to sit and breathe and just start jotting down because I do like people to, to physically write things because then it becomes more real as both of you know. But write down the things you've done, write down your education, write down your training, write down the certificates and degrees you have. So that's the basic level. Write down the things you've accomplished, write down the hard things you've done that you didn't think you were going to do. So you create this long list of all the things you've actually done that replaces the thoughts around the imposter syndrome. So your brain is saying, you're a fraud, you can't do this. And yet you have this list of things that you've already done. So you certainly can apply some of those strengths and abilities to later things. Your brain is saying, people are going to find out. And you have the data to say, what are they going to find out that I actually am good at this, that I can do this? Because it's right there in black and white in front of you. So that's one of the ways that certainly around imposter syndrome, we start to knock out the brain's habit of going to you're a fraud, you're a loser, you suck, to, nope, I've done all this stuff, I can do this again. I can apply it to future situations. And if I can't, I know who I can ask, because that's the second piece, is creating your resource list for when you don't know. Because that other piece of, or that other theme of, I need to be perfect, no, you don't. So first of all, when you are thinking you have to be perfect, it's creating a resource list of people that when you really don't know what to do, you know who to go to. And that's one of the, you know, obviously we, we know that's one of the strongest skills around leadership, but this idea of perfection is so destructive. It is, I, you know, and we know that it contributes to this incredible place of burnout for individuals. So starting to realize what are my strengths? So I do three categories with clients. What are my absolute strengths, my go-tos? I don't even have to think about it. They're almost automated. What are my list of things that are pretty strong? 
but I like that support. I like to have a little bit of backup just in case. And what are my areas that I damn well better be sure that I have some other people in place? So for me, my third list absolutely is anything around finances and math and numbers. I hate all of it. And I've never worked to get better at it because I surround myself with people who are really good at it and who I trust. So my energy and resources can then be devoted to those first two areas, the things I'm absolutely strong in and the things that I'm getting stronger in. And I don't have to waste energy worrying about those other pieces because there's other people because I don't want to strive to be perfect. And that's a hard one for a lot of people who are highly driven or just have this story in their head of what the, the ideal life is. And that's what is their their goal to get to. And maybe ideal is not the goal. Maybe happiness is the goal or level of satisfaction or God forbid, level of celebrating what you've already accomplished for a little while before moving on to the next thing. Occasionally, and well, for myself too, occasionally it's, we find folks that they like to just like their, their failures show up really bright to them. Like when you say, so what have you done in your life? Well, I screwed this up and I failed here and I failed here and I failed here and I failed here. And how do you dance with that? <laughs> Not very gently. <laughs> Typically, my response is, how's that going for you? Do, do you like feeling that way? Do you like thinking that way? How is it serving you? Do you think it's going to help? So I push back hard. And part of my reason is not just because that tends to be a little bit more towards my personality. It's strategic. It's almost like a psychological slap in the face, like stop. Is this really the way you want to feel, you want to think, you want to, you want to exist? And if any of those are a no to that question, then let's do something differently. And sometimes I do. I, I have been known to allow my clients, do you need 10 minutes just to get all this out of your system? So let's purge. Let's get it out. And now we're going to regroup. Also, as simplistic as it is, and I do, I do think it's simplistic, but I very frankly just say, is that how you talk to your best friend? Because that would suck. You'd be a crappy friend if that's how you're going to talk to them. So why on earth would you talk to yourself that way? Because it's not going to produce the results you want. So there is a little bit of, more than a little bit, of that direct confrontational conversation until they can start to do that to their own brain. Because that's what I try and get my clients to do. Like, stop talking to their brain. You know, stop. We don't need that kind of thinking. Let's reframe. Let's regroup so we can move forward. But they don't always know how to do that right away. So I become that external voice until they can do it for themselves. Yeah, I'm just a follow up on that one. I'm not sure if I've applied the same thing, but when I sometimes get direct or forceful with people, they boomerangs back at me twice as hard, right? Because <laughs> I've kind of just mm -hmm. pissed them off. I'm curious for yourself, right? Because when you somebody could see that as a threat, right? Oh my God, you're challenging my thinking. You're challenging whatever. How do you deal with that to kind of get that openness so people can even hear what you're saying? Yeah. So for that, that's usually when we take a step back. So in, in calls, when that happens, that's where I usually say, okay, we're going to take five minutes. And I just want you to jot down some of what you're feeling, like write down what I don't want to hear it initially. I just want you to write it down. And so they write it down and that's where we start to do that play. Okay. So what thought created that feeling? So you're, you're defensive. Okay. What's the thought that created that feeling? And very often people will say, I don't know. I just felt it. Okay. Well, we, we know that's not accurate. And so at that point I might prompt them a little bit. Well, were you, were you, do you think you might be, have had the thought of this or of that? Hopefully by then, and maybe I've known them well enough to know some of the past experiences that trigger some of that defensiveness or past people that created that defensiveness. 
and help them realize, okay, that's why you're being defensive. It's not defensive because of what I'm saying. It's because someone else created that. So how can we change that? So you're not going to be defensive when someone challenges your thinking because that's where growth happens. The discomfort you're feeling means that your brain is trying to process it, but it doesn't want to let go of that habit that you already have. So that when they're feeling something to me in those moments, it usually is because it's so hard to break that habit that they're going to come out ready to fight to protect that habit because it's worked for them for so long. I mean, in theory, and once we start processing, then giving them that space to write down the feeling and then tracking it back at that objective, more concrete and cognitive level, that typically works for me. When it doesn't, it's usually when I say, okay, we're going to take some time and take some space. And usually that's a, we're going to shut off the cameras. And for most of my sessions are on, on video. So, and we're actually going to step away. And I walk them through either imagery or deep breathing, kind of in that mindfulness place to do something a little more physical to settle their sympathetic nervous system down a little bit so that they can come back and think in a more strategic way. Thanks, Dr. Robin. What we, we also hold is for ourselves, we notice that when we're coaching or we're leading, we're learning. I mean, we're always like, like, and you just go like, wow, I just figured something out there, right? That's pretty cool. And what was the last <laughs> thing you remember that was like a significant learning opportunity or space when you were in the middle of doing that? You discovered something for yourself. That's terrific. <laughs> I don't know if it's a new learning, but it's certainly a, a reminder of how sometimes what I'm saying is so hypocritical <laughs> that very, very honestly, that I can give some great strategies and I can walk people through some really powerful activities and the back of my brain is just screaming, saying, really, really? When's the last time you used that? Or you were just you know, getting all upset about something. You didn't do that three minutes ago. And I actually, I hate it, but I do appreciate it because it humanizes me. It makes me realize what my clients go through. And it is definitely a check for myself to say, mm, okay, we need to get back. I would like to get back to that later on to check in with myself. If, if I'm having that thought of hypocrite, 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 it's reminding myself, okay, maybe it's time to revisit my own strategies and, and reapply them or check in with my own coach and go for a booster session so that I can make sure I am functioning the way I want to function before all those stories start undermining me often before we even realize it. So not a new learning moment, Ron, and certainly a very vulnerable share, but yeah, hypocrite is definitely, definitely my red flag. Thank you for your vulnerability. You're welcome. Yeah, thanks. I, I appreciate it. There's nothing like that moment when you're, when you're doing that, right? And somebody says something that you're coaching or leading or working with, and you're like, damn, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and that's all you have to say, right? It's like, Pretty much, or they can, I've had a couple clients, at least in the past couple of years, who will say, well, when's the last time you did that? And those moments scare the heck out of me because I'm like, oh, I better be able to say something really fast to, in my mind, again, the story, maintain my credibility. But clients who know me better, sometimes they'll say, you know what, you're right. Thank you for that. Because I, I do need to revisit that. And I really appreciated you giving me that reminder. And I love those moments. You watch their face change to like, oh, they were like going to challenge me. And then all of a sudden they're like, oh, she actually like appreciated me as returning the favor. So I do like turning that into a really uh, positive experience for both, both my client and myself. Yeah. Thanks. What a wonderful moment. Yeah. 
Well, we, what I notice is when I do that, you know, we be vulnerable with them in that space. Uh, there's a different level of connection yes. between us. There's a, there's a level of trust. There's a level of openness. There's a level that I could talk to them about anything. Right. I, I absolutely agree. That was actually a really hard transition or a different transition for me from the traditional therapy space. Cause my graduate training was very much about separation of yourself from the, from the patient that they didn't know you personally, that you had to keep your, your therapeutic distance. And when I started into coaching, I maintained that I kept doing that and realized that's not effective, that I don't need to like, obviously be pouring out my heart, but every once in a while, if I use an example from my own professional life, sometimes my personal life, depending on the, the goal, it really can be very, very powerful. And they do connect to you in a very different way when all of a sudden they see the person behind the screen kind of. I started doing it on social media and that was so uncomfortable. But what I got was a lot of reception about, it's nice to know it's not just us, that you've had some struggles. And it, yeah, it, it worked from a marketing perspective and it worked from just a connection perspective, which was really a, a wonderful lesson for me. Yeah, what that reminds me of is you're not alone right? We all have those fears. We all have things that don't work out quite as expected. And we can all pick ourselves back up from those events and learn from them and be a better person on the other side. Right. It goes back to what we talked about earlier in terms of how do you, you know, bring them into that, that normalization. And if, if all of a sudden their coach is part of the normalized group, that's kind of impressive that the expert, because a lot of people I think come in with that story that somehow we're the experts, but they're actually often or sometimes in that same place that they're coming in for support with. Thank you. That's, that's really good. Thank you. I'm, I'm triggered with when you were sharing your vulnerable story, even though I was listening to you, I was also thinking about myself and all the spaces mm-hmm. inside there. And it gave me a space to, in a way, put down my shield so that I could talk differently. And I noticed that's a, a great skill to be able to be vulnerable with somebody, to be able to build the connection deeper and stronger to where it'll last. And that's what I think that's what we crave. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I've been reading this really good book. If, if neither of you have ever read Talk Like Ted, highly recommend it. I don't care if you're ever going to do a TED Talk or not, but it is really a good read. And one of the biggest takeaways I have from that book is the idea of storytelling and how it draws people in, in a way that data does not or credibility does not, that those are the three pieces of effective communication, but it is the storytelling more than I ever realized actually before I went through that whole process and read that book. That's what people remember. That's what people hold on to. And as I was doing my research around that, I thought about some of my most favorite clients and how very often that's what they come back to. The stories I tell them, whether it's about myself or other clients that are appropriate and confidential, of course, but they hold on to those, which aligns with actually the name of your podcast. Like the stories are the powerful ones. And hopefully the stories are ones that can move us forward and support us versus the stories that really hold us back. Yeah, thanks. I mean, when I think about history and people, what do we really have is stories right? If you think back to the caveman, it was about stories. And what do you, what do you then transfer generations to generations? It's usually the stories. And it's always fascinating to me, the stories that you hear, and then the stories you make up from the stories you hear, because everybody can hear the same thing. But what Mm -hmm. I make up can sometimes be very different than what you make up. 
and how I also have the power to create that story in a way that is more powerful, mm. you know? So yeah, thanks. Stories. We're just stories. A lot mm-hmm. of them. Mm-hmm. Robin, is there anything you'd like to share with our group about what you're up to or what you're doing or how they can connect with you? Certainly connecting with me is easy on every social media platform and my website. It's just Dr. Robin Buckley, no spaces, no periods. And I think that you get another vision of me when you, especially through the different social media platforms and the articles and different podcasts on my website, it does help to get, before people work with me, a lot of times they'll use that to get a sense of who I am. And I encourage people to do that because I think when you're choosing someone to work with and be vulnerable with, it's important to have that connection. And if you can help yourself by having that connection right from the beginning, it's even better. Over the next year, I'm hoping to have a book out regarding the couples work that I do, which is just so much fun because again, it's relying a lot on strategy and and more of a business framework to change the story around what love and marriage really could be for some people. And otherwise, I'm just enjoying meeting people as they connect with me when they hear wonderful interviews like this. So thank you both for this opportunity. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Rob. And I, I offer that you've made our podcast better. You've made our world better. And I thank you for everything that you're doing. Thank you, Ron. I really appreciate that. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to the story in your head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time.